Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. In this podcast, we talk to experts in and around the analytics industry. One week, we may talk to a data scientist from a FANG tech company. Then the next week, we may talk to a data engineer or business analyst, or even I may pull one of my consulting clients so you get to hear from an executive on how they use data to drive business decisions day in and day out. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, which is a boutique consulting agency that focuses on analytics for medium to small size businesses. I'm also a professor at Greensboro College, where I teach analytics. Most recently, I have founded the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program, which melds these two job functions together. This is your opportunity to work directly with me and one of my clients. The Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program is a three-month program. In the first month, you're going to be completing the Analytics Foundation Certification backed by Greensboro College. Then in month two, you're going to be taking that knowledge base that you developed in month one and applying it out in the field where you're going to be working with one of my client's executive teams where you're going to be solving a business problem using data and analytics tools. Then in the third month, we're going to bring it all together with a full month of career services. Now, this is going to be quite a bit different than the typical career services at a university or a college. Here, I'm going to help you build a professional brand around where you are as an analyst. So in the first month, you have worked with a ton of different data sets. We're going to take the data sets that really resonate with you to help you hone in on your ideal entry-level job. We're going to build a Tableau public portfolio around that area of expertise. We're going to razor focus your resume and LinkedIn. And I'm also going to coach you on how to talk about yourself in an interview setting. So if you're ready to break into the analytics space, 
head over to learn.silvertonianalytics/apprenticeship and there you can learn more about the program and if you're interested you can apply. With all that being said, let's start the podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast, where we will help you discover where you fit into the analytics marketplace, what skills you should build, and how to land your analytics dream job. I'm John David, analytics agency owner and educator. And I'm Elizabeth Illig, a private career coach and higher education professional. In this podcast, we will not only help you land your next analytics job, but we will give you the tools and strategies to level up your career. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I am talking to, how do you say this? Oz Dussoule? Dussoule, yep. Dussoule, who is on fire with Excel. So his YouTube channel is called, <laughs> what, Excel on Fire? Excel, Excel on Fire, that's right. So go ahead and check out that YouTube channel. It is just chock full of nuggets of gold in terms of yeah. learning all about Excel. And the focus that we we're going to talk about today was thinking like an analyst. Yes, Oz is like a expert on Excel, but we're, we're going to talk about that for sure. But we're also going to talk about how to think like an analyst. So Oz, I'll kick it off to you. How do you do that? How do you think like an analyst? <laughs> Man, that can be so big and there's all types of analysis and, and how to think, but the big thing that comes to mind for me is when I was a commissions analyst and developing a relationship with the data and recognizing when the data looks funny and being curious to find out is just, is this is what it is or is something fishy. And a lot of times I did find fishy stuff reports that were wrong, reports that didn't match the compensation plan or rules in reports that made sense 10 years ago, but the company has grown and gotten more complex. And now finally I have hit on a scenario that triggered something weird in the report. So, and then also this is interesting because I was talking with somebody who said he's got a team of top analysts, but they are not curious. When numbers look funny, they aren't recognizing that they look funny. They just keep on going and they do their analysis. They do their forecast and they send out their reports. And then he comes back later and says, didn't somebody recognize that this looked funny? And then when you go back to it, then you find out, you know, like I did one time, the director of billing had written off a whole bunch of bad debts. Oh. And that was not supposed to show up in the commission's report. Um, because the, the compensation plan said a sales rep can be hit for refunds up to a year in the past, a calendar year. Oh, interesting. The, yeah. There was yeah. nothing in the uh, report that dealt with that. 
So these 10-year-old debts were suddenly showing up. And what it took was when she took about a week and wrote off a whole bunch of them, that caused a whole bunch of numbers to go down. And that wouldn't happen if she, you know, just wrote off one $500 debt from 10 years ago. That wouldn't trigger anything for me. But when she's writing off hundreds of thousands of dollars and then it, all of these numbers go low, then I got to say, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> I really like that you mentioned um, curiosity. So I think it was in our third podcast episode, I interviewed a former business partner of mine who's now actually one of my clients. Um, he's the CMO of a local company here in Greensboro. And he says that one of the things that he looks for um, is curiosity. What, yeah. not, not just with analysts, but just with anyone that he hires. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not curious or you're not actively engaged, then that's when you really start to run into some trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what kind of trouble do you say? Or what's an example of running into trouble? Hmm. Putting me on the spot here. I'm, I'm trying to think of like a really good example of... Oh, here's one. Like when you have duplicate, duplicate um, entries... Mm-hmm. And if, if you're not actually in the numbers, like you were saying, like b- before the, we um, hit the record button, you were talking about how it's tough to be a consultant because you might work on a project and then six months later, uh, they call you back and you've kind of forgotten all the intricacies and the specifics mm-hmm. where if you're a full-time analyst and you live in that data and you know it and you, you built up some of that intuition, then you can start to see like, oh, there's a duplicate. There's probably a duplication here. Let me do some digging, and I can I can parse that out. Yeah. And then now all of a sudden the numbers look right. Yeah. yeah. That is the worst case scenario when you're, you know, reporting to your CEO, CMO, or even your just your manager. If the the data is wrong, then any type of recommendation or insight is just invalidated immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something <laughs> that I think about as an analyst is how much can I trust this data? Always don't start making charts and telling people this is what I see and everything. Um, So I sat down with a tutoring student. She came straight from work to meet me to, she wanted to know about uh, pivot tables and she brought her actual work. And immediately I saw a whole bunch of duplicates in her data. And she says, oh, my gosh, I just told my bosses you know, what I found with, with some calculations I did. They're going to be way off because when we go clear out all these duplicates, the numbers are going to be way lower. But, right, she was thinking, like, she's ready to do the analysis. But right. what about the data quality? And I think this gets into data governance, honestly. Like if you can create a data collection system that is somewhat uh, streamlined. So you, you mentioned ad hoc before we uh, started recording. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ad hoc has its place, but I really think that you need to get into systems thinking. So how can you b- build a system, architect it once, and then it's going to run pretty much perfectly unless, you know, some external force comes in and changes that you know now, this is this is where i disagree with you jack oh. because because <laughs> that's why my excel skill came to be 
because I am one guy sitting in a cubicle having to deal with whatever comes up. And um, we had this international database and two uh, huge IT teams. And a lot of times my problems are too small for them. I'm trying to deal with 5,000 people. They can't stop and help me help 5,000 people. And, and we, weird stuff happens, right? Because, okay, so we set up a portal for a company to go register people. And that this, these people go in and register themselves. Okay, now, Allison Fisher sets up an account. Then she comes back later months later and sets up Allison Fisher hyphen St. James, now her married uh, name. So now she's got two profiles in the system. And then maybe an admin comes in and makes a third profile for her. How do you control that? And, hmm. and how do you control it in a way to where it doesn't annoy the hell out of people? Right, because yeah, that's can, like some some systems design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then somebody calls up on behalf of Allison Fisher. So all these weird ways that data can get into the system and mess it up. Um, so you can systematize things up to a point. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like we're not saying we're not necessarily disagreeing. I think right, we're right. things that are like I, related. Yeah, I would yeah, say. we're definitely related, and I'm thinking at a certain level. Right. I think we're mm -hmm. talking, yeah, you definitely need systems. And then there was me sitting in a cubicle dealing with the weird stuff. Right. Because you also mentioned that um, a lot of your students reach out to you because they want to say they want to save like a whole day of their work week. Mm -hmm. That's systems thinking because then that gets into scalability. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, cr you craft that system. And yeah, there are going to be imperfections. But it's kind of like that Pareto analysis of like, I can get 80% of it done perfectly. Then I can spend that 20% time on that 20%, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that, that man, you're saying some sexy stuff here because, <laughs> because one thing is um, determining how much crappy data is acceptable because it is never going to be 100% clean. Right. But you got to decide the stakes. What, what's at stake? Um, what is it going to take to get to 85% clean, 90% clean, 98% clean? Um, but then there is, yes, coming up with a system, mm -hmm. um, thinking about how can I simplify things. Um, I had somebody who was just retyping names. He would get this <laughs> list of names that he had to make certificates for. And some names are coming in, they're all lowercase. Some are all uppercase. Some are, are just wrong. And so he's retyping them one at a time instead of, you know, using the proper function. That's like the biggest sin of data governance. Manually typing things. Human error yeah. is so, so bad. That, that's something I tell a lot of my clients is mm -hmm. that, you know, for example, one of my clients that I currently am, am you know, consulting with, they were working on Salesforce data. Mm -hmm. And when I first showed up, they were manually typing in industry. Mm -hmm. Guess how many industries showed up when I first walked in the door? How many? There was like 56. 
Uh-huh. What we did was we then grouped them all together and I sat down with their, uh, their director in that department and we whittled it down to their really eight. And there might be 56 subcategories, but that doesn't make sense in terms of, well, you know, this is a, this is a cluster here and this is a cluster and we can mm-hmm. compare this cluster has got a lot more sales going on than this one. So we should spend our marketing and sales efforts trying to grow this. Mm-hmm. This is already working and it's resonating and there's like a deep market there. Right. I mean, eventually you're going to hit a threshold where you're, you're hitting a diminishing return and maybe you start looking for other clusters to focus. Yeah. But that's kind of like step one in terms of like my sales discovery analysis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to, trying to think back here. Uh, Anyway, let's let's go forward. <laughs> <laughs> well, something I wanted to talk to you about too is um, mentorship. Mm-hmm. So, one of the best ways to improve your like analytical critical thinking is to find someone who is already deep into, you know, their area of expertise, and just you know work with them and see how they think. Not only like what they're thinking, like oh, this is a good idea. This is a good tactic. Like this is what you would do in this exact situation, but more of like a, I feel like I'm over harping on systems, but like, how do they, how, what is their system of thinking? Like how, how do they kind of, it's like more of a philosophical thing. Like how do you go about thinking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think of a couple of mentors I had, uh, Monica and then Thomas, and that mentorship was more, around the stuff that wasn't in the tool. Yeah, Monica showed me pivot tables at VLOOKUP in Excel. Uh, But then there was, when I get called into the controller's office and he's got a question about the data, can I explain how I got to a certain calculation? And don't go in there all mealy-mouthed and worried that he's trying to trap me. Um, If I am confident in the calculation I made that, yeah, you need to pay this person $18,000 this month for their commissions, how did I get there? Well, I took the data and I did this and based on the compensation plan and the blah, 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 and then this is how I get to $18,000. But don't go in there like, well, uh, I was told that I need to Mm. take the data and um, I'm sure I did this right. Um, But, you know, if I made a mistake, let me know. And then, no, no, then they start losing confidence and then want to check everything I'm doing. Um, But then don't try to bull jive anybody either. You know, um, that that's bad also. So (laughs) that's what, my mentors did for me really uh the tool stuff was often the easy part um dealing with people who don't like their commissions calculation you know sending somebody a three thousand dollar check and they said what about this and what about that i need to be able to first not take it personally that's a huge one people take yeah it's business yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah you're, you are human and you have emotions, but 
I mean, if you're crying because someone's criticizing or telling you no, mm-hmm. that it's just it's, that's extremely unprofessional. Yeah, and and it, it can be hard. It can be hard oh, yeah. because um, because yeah, I don't want to get caught. I haven't made a mistake. And then here's this person asking me something. And what if we start stepping through it and I say, Oh yeah, I did screw this up. But, but so it's a constant thing of not taking this personally. And then also confidently taking this salesperson to the, through the process of how we got to $3,000 and not $5,000. And, um, and then explaining, okay, now I think I see where you got this $5,000 idea and maybe it's an issue of, yeah, they processed the sale, but then it winds up in the system and it's going to be on next month's something like that. But, but mm-hmm. taking them seriously uh, and um, not taking it personally, being confident that was something Thomas kept going back to. You got to be confident. And then when I did make mistakes, I went and told my controller, I told the uh, my director, here's this goof. And um, it's embarrassing. And then to think about being fired, I made a mistake. I, but then learning that I owned the mistake. I understood what happened. This is what I'm doing to make corrections. So one thing I learned in that regard was about um, cross-footing. What's that? So I'm gonna, cross-footing is where I will calculate something maybe three different ways and see that those three different ways all add up to the same thing. Okay. Yeah. That's so maybe Yeah. Maybe add up all of the the uh, uh, product lines, add all of those up because those are all summarized, you know, add, add up, up the, all the, sales the transactions. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. And then put in certain things into my model that will make it clear. Some numbers don't add up. Stop. You know, maybe something turns red or yellow. And so, so would you say that, um, the mentors you've had throughout your career have helped you navigate the like personal relationships mm-hmm. or I know you don't like this term or like the soft skills. Yeah. 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 Cause um, I feel soft skills is kind of gushy. Whereas it's not gushy when I have to go to my director and say, I just recognized that the sales commission's report is wrong. This thing that was written 10 years ago has got a serious flaw in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see it as gushy. I got to get up off my ass and take a hard swallow and go tell the director something is wrong. And I got to reconcile the whole eight months of this year's worth of commissions. Yeah, well, it's, I was actually listening to a podcast uh, this morning. Do you know who Robert Greene is? Mm-mm. He wrote the 48 Laws of Power, um, oh. the 50th Law. Um, I think it's like the Art of Human Nature or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the way that he frames up failure, well, he, he said he's going to write a new book and his, the next topic of his new book is going to be, um, you need to see opportunity as a way for you to, to grow. And he argues that failing is actually more valuable to you in the long run than succeeding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a way, there's an art to seeing. So what you just laid out, for example. So you said, I found this, there's an error in this report. I see that as an opportunity. That's mm-hmm. an opportunity for you to show up to that manager and say, hey, look, I found a problem in your operation and I fixed it for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's, it does seem like, yeah, you may get some backlash on like, look, the, the, the analysis is wrong, but I, I think you can kind of, it's a way for you to build trust in that relationship. Yes, 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 definitely, yeah. definitely. And um, I definitely built a lot of trust in what I right. did. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's like the confidence and the trust thing, they're very much interrelated in that people tend to trust confident people. If you say mm-hmm. something with, you know, a deep voice, you know, mm-hmm. you know for example, like, um, here are the sales figures versus here are the sales figures, you know, like the, even the tonality of your voice yeah. Yeah. conveys confidence, then yeah. that opens up, you know, a lot of opportunity for you in yeah. terms of like, not only are you not going to be nitpicked and questioned and micromanaged, although mm-hmm. I've been in the corporate environment where no matter how confident I was, I was still nitpicked. It's just mm-hmm. some positions yeah. aren't, aren't the greatest, yeah. but if you have that confidence and back that up with actually executing mm-hmm. on point, that's when you can start to level up your career and yeah. start moving on to like, you know, bigger and greener pastures. Yeah. And um, that that's interesting. You mentioned uh, So there's, I just want to add in that you can't BS somebody that right. put on that confidence and constantly there's mistakes found in your work, <laughs> but you're still confident and, and tap dancing. It was, you know, yeah, it was wrong, but it's still kind of right because it's not my fault. You know, it's no, no. You know, there's a word for that. It's called delusional. Because <laughs> 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 then people are just like, oh, you live in your own reality and it has no basis in what's going on over here. Yeah, um, and and then there's called being a bullshitter. Yeah, that yeah, there's. De- <laughs> I would, I would say that's. I would say that's even worse because yes, like, yes, the delusional is- people think that they're doing well and they're just yes, like off. Yes, the then you're kind of like that slimy, sleazy. Yeah, you know, I'm. People are like, I gotta watch out for this guy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, then you you said something else that was interesting. Um that confidence and trust that okay they eventually did something to highly automate the uh commissions calculations process and made it somebody's somebody else's side job but i had shown the skill but also the the confidence and the ownership of things they created a position for me rather than just let me go and that that taught me a lot of other stuff and um i'll tell you uh 
a, a, a um, director confided in me one day. He said he was supposed to fire me when he showed up. Huh? Because, uh, yeah, because I had shown myself as difficult. But when he showed up, he saw that I was going to fight for the customers. Because I was in customer service. I'm supposed to answer the phones. Mm-hmm. And But I was getting up and going solving problems. What's wrong here? And then I go find out the problem is in the data or the problem is in the reports or the problem is in a slow process. So I am trying to get it to where, you know, somebody calls up and the first thing they say is, I've called three times about this. Okay, there is not going to be another call about this because I'm going to solve it. Um, the initial director, he didn't like that. Ours is being difficult. But the next one, he saw that I had a skill and I was solving problems. And then he started giving me different types of problems to solve and slowly got me off of answering the phones. That's that's an interesting trajectory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, there was one role where people's uh, continuing education coursework wasn't showing up in reports. And an issue was there were three different companies that were feeding data in and it wasn't all matching up. And so I sat and very meticulously tried to figure out how this was working and which types of uh, credits would go through and which ones would get held up and where did they get stuck. So um, I, when, when that new director saw how meticulous I was in figuring that out, and then the giving a damn. Because I could have said, well, these didn't go through and I tried this and these went through and these didn't, but why? What was wrong? Yeah. Yeah. That's what my director liked. That curiosity. Yeah. And, and take, and take, yeah, the curiosity and, and, and taking some kind of action. We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah. So I, I do, I do have kind of like a follow-up question to like, what was the value of a mentor? How did you go about meeting mentors? Um, did you luck into that or was that like a methodical way that you cultivated I, those relationships? I, I looked into it um, with Thomas. 
he so, so my commissions analyst job was housed in the accounting department and I'm not an accountant, never been an accountant. Um, but he saw me a couple cubicles away floundering and he had been in meetings with me when I'm being all shy about, you know, how I arrived at my calculations. And he would regularly pull me aside and say, okay, you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could see if, if you didn't know what you were doing, but you know what you're doing, you know, present yourself that way. Um, and if, if they do find mistakes, that's what this whole process is for. Because once I calculate commissions, it goes to two people higher than me before it f- gets finalized and sent to payroll. So trust the process also. Uh, what else? Uh, so much, you know, it told me, you know, about being organized. Um, so many things, but yeah, that w- I'm so appreciative because yeah, I didn't ask for all of this. So, so you attracted him essentially yeah. is, is what yeah. happened because you were doing good work and he could see that, but he could also yeah. see that you weren't quite, you were a little timid. You weren't quite confident enough. Yeah. Um, Cause I've actually been thinking about this question quite a bit because I've had, I've had three pretty big mentors within the last three years. And one of them, I just, I just recently met and it's, mm. it's funny cause I, I hesitate to call them mentors because they end up partnering with me in my businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the one that I recently found, or actually he found me through um, Greensboro is kind of a small place. So he, uh, my new mentor, um, his name's Nathan. He is the former CFO of Wrangler jeans. Mm, wow. And um, he, he's retired from that or I, you know, moved on from that opportunity. And now he has his own consulting agency and he reached out to me so that we could partner on some power BI projects because he's doing all the financial analysis and he wants me to come in and visualize it. Unfortunately, what happened, um, the project that we were going to collaborate on, um, got pushed back six months and I was like, Oh man, that's probably not good news because you know, if it, 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 it probably will come through, but there's a chance that it won't now, you know, what, what I did to continue to foster that relationship was I sit on the board of directors at a local nonprofit and I'm the treasurer. So I asked him if he'd be interested in coming on the board of directors and helping me, you know, really go through the books and, you know, go through the financials and see where the opportunities are. So now I'm, not only do I have a mentor, but I'm seeing how he thinks, you know, he, he was a CFO for five years at a, you know, I don't know how big Wrangler is. I think it's probably, you know, maybe a billion. I don't know. It's, it's a huge company, but now I have like the CFO of this very large company working with me in his area of expertise. So I'm getting to see how he thinks. Okay. And, and now it's also kind of plugging into um, one of the things that I'm doing as a board member is I'm I'm creating some financial or economic impact analysis. So I'm helping them quantify their impact in the nonprofit space um, in order for them to get more funding. So for the, yeah. for the organization to, to, to thrive, they're going to need funding so that they can get more resources and have a yes. impact. Yes. So that, I mean, yeah. that, that 
it, that's a whole conversation into itself. Like yeah. nonprofit space and analysis, that's just a wide open opportunity because most of the people in that space are kind of like, use the word gushy earlier. They're yeah. kind of like, you yeah. know, they're, they're um, very much like mission driven and I want to, mm-hmm. you know, I want to impact the world and I, I want to help people. A lot of those yeah. people are not very much analytical thinking. Right. Like the and yes. section. Yeah, I have spent a lot of time in that space. I founded a nonprofit, um, dealt with a lot of nonprofit people. And um, yeah, analysis and data are lacking. Right. And and I went to a, a nonprofit CEO's boot camp over a week. And it's, uh, it's in Chicago. And there was a guy from a foundation and this guy was as cold as a snake. <laughs> he seemed like he sold his sense of humor at some way early in his life. But the thing he said was, when I'm going to give a nonprofit $50,000, I don't want pictures that your kids have colored. I don't want cake and all of this and and heartwarming stories i need data i want to show i want to see what you've done with money in the past what is your plan you know did you adhere to the application guidelines Mm -hmm. yeah and a lot of nonprofits they aren't prepared for that they don't have data or the data is all over the place well I've heard this about Bill Gates with his foundation and that the way that he looks at how he's spending his foundation's dollars is they look at return on investment. Mm-hmm. So if I spend $1, you know, digging wells in Africa, is that going to affect more people than I'm trying to, you know, malaria medicine in the Amazon? Mm-hmm. Like which has a bigger impact? Yeah. So uh, analytics has got, it's such an exciting space because it reaches everything, which you, right. you wouldn't think nonprofits and analytics, you know, there would be a, a huge crossroads there. But I mean, right. data has now become like the new gold. Yeah. And and here again, I think we're talking like two different levels, right? Because you're talking about the an- analysis and the impact and making a case for funding, mm-hmm. whereas where I've dealt with it is – um the data is just a mess or non-existent or it's all over the place. I worked with, I tried to help one nonprofit that had data because, okay, in a nonprofit space, I can tell you a warm story and you might reach in your pocket and give me $20. But now I want to apply for a $10,000 or $50,000 grant. A heartwarming story does not work. They want data. And that's where this nonprofit had finally gotten to. But now their donor data, their uh, data about their projects, it's on three different computers in different versions of Excel, in PDF files, in Word, and they needed to get it all in one place so that then they could do the type of analysis you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And they never got there because I said, I'm a volunteer. And I can help you cleanse this stuff, but at least get this stuff onto one computer. I went back there twice and they still hadn't done it. 
and I felt like they were looking for me to do it. <laughs> and I said, no, I can help mm-hmm. you with deduping and normalization and that kind of stuff. But going through all these files and folders on three different computers, no. And so I had to call the, the agency and tell them, I don't think I can help them because they've got to be willing to help me help them. Right. Yeah, they, it sounds like it's just not something they want to do. They, they <laughs> want to. And, and that's the thing is, is they want to. But it's, 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 it's hard. It's intimidating. Um. Yeah, I guess my line of th- like what what I was, where I was going with that is like if you really want to do something, mm-hmm. you're going to get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it might take some extra hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I guess there is a case to be made. Like, you know, I, I don't have the tools. I don't have like the mm-hmm. intelligence. I, well, I I feel like this stuff is not really that hard. It's it takes time, mm-hmm. but it's not like extremely difficult to learn mm-hmm. and in fact like what something i was going to get back to you um going to really relate back was um those soft skills those interpersonal skills those are hard to learn mm-hmm. yes learning hard skills there's 50 courses on any topic okay. that you ever want okay 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 I, i'm with you there yeah right yeah but try, try learning how to sell or close a deal or, mm-hmm. you know, diffuse someone when they're mad. Yeah. That's something that I think a lot of analysts um, just don't want to deal with. Yeah. They just want, they want, you know, let me learn Power BI. Let me learn Excel, Power yeah. Pivot. You know, let me, and I'll just be in this world. But yeah. that's only like a, a fraction of, of the value you actually yeah. need to bring. Yep. And yes, and and we that needs to be talked about more, <laughs> you know, because the tips and tricks and techniques and different tools and things those are all great, but you know, you know, yeah, not paying attention to the data quality, and then dealing with the people who don't like the results. That's the hard thing. And one thing Thomas uh, helped me with was there was this one sales assistant who over three months. He kept questioning me and I would step him through, here's how the calculation went. And Thomas said, there's only so much of that that you do. Yes, people will have questions and you step them through. But then after that third month, say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've gone through this twice and everything has been right. And so now, you know, you're being a jerk. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you get, yeah, yes, some boundaries, some boundaries. Yes. Take it seriously because this is their money. But then also don't, you know, uh, become somebody's, you know, doormat. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Then, they, then they're just going to, you're going to give them an inch and give them an inch and then it's going to yeah. be a mile all of a sudden. Yeah. And um, what we did. I uh, got my director to step in and me, my director and that sales assistant had a meeting and she told him, look, we're not going to go around in circles with this every month. Now I showed you how the calculations go and, and you get the detailed report. So, you know, stop this. If there's something that you can point to, 
that this looks funny. You know, we, we're not closing the door on you, but we're not having this dance every month. Right. So let's move on to something. Uh-oh. I guess okay. that's like, uh, <laughs> let's move into something that we can pull out of this for a podcast highlight. Shameless okay. plug here. Um, what, so you've been teaching and teaching and teaching. You've had so many different students. What are the most common mistakes or misconceptions that entry-level analysts have about the analytics space? Um, the first thing that came to mind for me is the bashing of Excel. Ooh, the bashing of Excel. Yeah. You know, the first podcast episode, or I I should say the first podcast episode of this month, I was talking about skill building. Mm -hmm. The first thing I said was you need to start with Excel, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like seen as not sexy or. I don't know, not high value, but that's, I learned data science or like, you know, kind of higher level analytical thinking through Excel in my quantitative analytics course in my MBA program. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I, you know, I hear about all of these different tools and stuff, but Excel is nimble. It does a lot of things. And then with Power Query being available, it does have a lot of database like features and um, you know, somebody will say, you know, what you're doing should be in a database, but then the reality is a database isn't available. There's a high learning curve and there needed to be something in Excel that would allow some database like features and that's power query. Um, But, I want to kind of change my answer and say that a lot of, a lot of now, let me slow down. I almost said rephrase, <laughs> like in the, in the booth. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rephrase. There needs to be more thought about data quality and data cleansing as a skill unto itself you got somebody who wants to make the dashboard and do the forecasting and they see data cleansing as a hassle but i've spent over 20 years making my money cleansing data because not everybody needs analysis they need to take all the data from all of these different sources, get it deduped and normalized so that they can put it in a database. Or a personal chef that I did some work for, she wants to know she needs to go get 10 heads of garlic to get through the week. That's not forecasting, that's not analysis. Um, a company that delivers food every week. The person packing the vehicle for this one route, he needs 15 pies. That's what he needs. But again, the data is all a mess. Right. Yeah. That's one of the biggest things that that I do in my consulting agency is just get the data in front of the decision maker. mm -hmm. Now, like, I mean, a lot of times I'll present it in a Tableau dashboard, but it's not like I'm doing any 
crazy predictive modeling. Or, right. Or, I mean, there, there is some inter, interactivity, like the, they'll be able to drill down based on like the, the interactive visualizations. Mm -hmm. But um, it's almost like you're, you're leading them to water and they're the horse and they're going to mm -hmm. drink themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're, you're just, you're just clearing the path so that they can actually get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But somebody's got to get the data clean. They got to get it all in one place and useful mm -hmm. and trustworthy. Mm -hmm. So I, I really like this thread because this is like right in the sweet spot in terms of like how to get an analytics job podcast. Mm -hmm. um, what would be the top things if you were a brand new analyst, what, what in terms of prioritization in the Excel space, what would you learn first, then second, then third and so on and so forth? Um, I'll tell you, uh, what would I learn first in the, in the tool? Right. So I guess the question that I'm kind of trying to get at is I always like to use this analogy of like, what is the lowest, juiciest hanging fruit? Mm -hmm. So what, what, like if, and say you only had, you know, 30 hours to learn Excel or, you know, a hundred hours, how would you prioritize that time to get that like entry level analytics okay. level of skill and expertise? For somebody that doesn't know. So, okay. Cause, cause that's, that's kind of uh, messy for me. Um, okay. okay. So, so, but, but let me think about it this way. So um, I had a friend who got his master's degree in marketing. Mm-hmm. And he knows all the analytics stuff. And in college, he learned on their expensive software. Then he gets his first job in a small marketing firm and there is Excel and he's got no clue. Mm -hmm. I like this. Yeah. Yeah. How would you advise him moving forward? Yeah. Um, Sort and filter can take you a long way. Okay, so mm -hmm. first there, because you can um, sort in different levels in Excel. And I think about my early days before I even knew how to write a formula. At least I could look at the data and say, okay, these are similar, but let me get them all in one place. So I'm going to sort three levels and then that's going to put this stuff in one place and then I can manually move it over and then do it again and get this stuff. So thinking about the data, sorting and filtering and being able to see patterns and, and work in patterns. So you're starting to massage the data with, with that skill set. So that's yeah. sort and filter. You yeah. That's the number one place to start. Yeah. If, Where's yeah. number two? <laughs> Where would you go from there? Um, I don't want to lead you, but, um, yeah. what about the power stuff? Okay. So, so that's where I'm thinking. Number two is kind of hard because I'm thinking about should pivot tables be second, but that, that can be a gap because there is also writing formulas I would say that it is powerful to be able to write an if statement, even if it's nested 10 ifs deep. 
mm-hmm. that can help a person get at what they're looking for. So I don't actually know if I – here I am hosting the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast, mm-hmm. and I'm not mm-hmm. sure – I just don't use – if it's an if-then statement, right? Well, it's an if function in Excel. Okay. Right. What does that mean? <laughs> that means um, – So if, if so, um, this is met – so say if it's over $10,000, include it in this column? So like one thing is like deduping something. Um, so I get things sorted by say uh, first name and last name. Mm-hmm. And then I will say equals if this name equals the name underneath, then put an X. Otherwise, stay blank run it down the whole column and then the X's are names that I need to look at. Okay. Right. So if so much stuff is that kind of condition, if a sale is over this number, because that's the minimum for getting commissions on it, then put an X. Okay. Okay. So then, so now, now you're starting to kind of structure the data. Structure. Right. Right. Um, ifs can do a whole lot of stuff. So I, I just think of when I first started working with Excel, I did a hell of a lot with sort, filter, and if, and manually moving stuff around. Okay. So that's and, like the easiest, like if, if you're, say you're looking to get an analytics job tomorrow or maybe next week, maybe tomorrow's too, too fast. You can, you master those three things and then you're going to be at least basic level proficient. If you're thinking right, you got to be able to think right and and see patterns and see, okay, I need to get these three things together because if I get these, then I can move this out of the way and then I can see how much real work I've got to do. So it's it's all kinds of stuff there. Uh, But then, um, and then Excel, from that point, it depends on what you need to do with Excel. Because okay. there are people who need to make charts and dashboards and stuff. That's never been me. So, you know, like 15 years into me working Excel, somebody got on me about not knowing how to make a certain graph. Well, how do you, how do you call your experts? Well, I'm an expert at cleansing data, uh, working with data dumps, uh, building tools, and those tools have never needed to have any graphics in them. Right. Uh, but mm. some people do need that. So, you know, this kind of reminds me of the question of Oz, teach me Excel. Well, after sort filtering, if now we get into what do you need to do with Excel? And when they don't know, then that's kind of hard. And that right. comes, yeah, that comes up when people, they'll say, you know, my employer spent $2,000 and sent me to an Excel course. And it was five days and two of those days are stuff that I don't need. But, you know, so, yeah, you teach general Excel and you teach people about how to make a a dual axis graph. And then the person said, you know, I am never going to make a dual axis graph in my life. Uh, Yeah, it's been my experience that the easiest way to learn is just to take on a new project. Yes, yes, yes. But then when you mentioned the uh, power stuff. So here's how I've approached this. I've got a weekly challenge that comes out on LinkedIn every Friday morning. Mm -hmm. 
And so through that weekly challenge, I introduce Power Query and different tools in Power Query. And it's through the real world challenges, because that's what I draw from. There is no standalone, just conceptual stuff. I say, okay, we pasted this data in from a web page, and the name is stuck right up against the phone number, and it's structured this way. So one thing we got to do is we got to get it unpivoted, and then we got to get the name separated from the phone number. Okay, we're going to take it into Power Query, and then we're going to use the unpivot feature, and then we're going to split the column by non-digit to digit. Okay. So yeah. this, this is Power BI built on top of Power Query? Because I, I've, I've, you know, I've been in Tableau, the Tableau space mm -hmm. for the past three years, but I've recently taken on some projects with Power BI mm -hmm. and they're using, like there is that, there's some database modeling mm -hmm. functionality. Yep. They call it the query builder now that I'm thinking about it. I'm wondering if it's kind of the same. Yeah, they're essentially the same. Okay. Yeah, the back end, the back end. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Because, yeah, Power BI is extremely powerful. Yes. And, and, and see, this is where you and I differ in that I'm, I'm building almost the way to frame this up is that I'm building apps mm -hmm. that, you know, the CEO, CMO, COO um, can use to find insights in their own data. Okay. That's what an effective dashboard is, essentially. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I've, I've, you know, gathered the data and then I've, you know, interfaced with them back and forth saying, you know, what do you care about? Oh, you want to look at industry. You want to look at deal size. You want to look at geography mm -hmm. and you want to make it interactive. And then I, you know, mock it up, prototype it and then implement it and then, you know, upload it to the, to the server. And then they have access to that anytime they want. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's power BI. Right. Right. Yeah. And then my main use of, of Power Query, yeah, they've got that same back end. Um, one example is a company that needed low-level alerts. So of these 2,000 products that they make, which ones are at a low level? And I had to bring in data from what their clients were using, mm -hmm. um, what products are on order, what was shipped to their client in the previous week and what's in the warehouse. So between all of that stuff and then looking at different levels of the different products. So one product, they can replace those tomorrow. If they get low on these other things, they need six months lead time. So they all have different low level amounts. Mm -hmm. So uh, now I got to bring that in. So now they have a button that they can push that says, okay, these are dangerously low and these are getting low. Yeah, that is a really interesting use case. Actually, during my, um, one of my internships while I was getting my MBA, I had to create a recommended stocking list. So we, it was kind of similar to that in that, um, well, I guess it was in that same vein and that you don't want a truck to be held up like a, a freight liner for two screws that cost 75 cents because it's like a thousand dollars a minute or something that they're losing in, in terms of value. Mm. So yeah, so you, what you can do is start giving some of that prioritization 
you know, that's, yeah, I really like that use case. Like it's, um, it's a lot of value. I like how you made that concrete. Mm. I feel like a lot of, um, a lot of these like talks are, are just vague. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, so right. you're, you're doing a weekly LinkedIn. Is that a LinkedIn learning thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But uh, from what I understand, the video challenge is free for 24 hours and then okay. it goes back behind a paywall that then uh, some person has to have a subscription to LinkedIn okay. or Linda. Yeah. Yeah. And, shameless, yeah. Shameless plugs here. We're both on LinkedIn well, learning. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I have fun with that because one way to get good with Excel is to spend the time seeing a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I do. So there is the unpivoting. And then one challenge that was recent was, oh no, we have opened this spreadsheet and there's all these ref errors. All right. So okay. your challenge is to look at uh, why those ref errors are there, what the problem is, and if you can fix it. Pause the video, come back, and we'll go through it together. And the issue is the ref errors typically mean Excel was doing a calculation on something that's no longer there. Right. So yeah, the, the, yeah like the what do they call it? It's like A1 cells or something like that. Um there's it's like the difference between um like having a database versus um like in Excel you can manually type in. Yeah. A1 reference cells, I think, is what is like the okay. way Excel is set up. So yeah, that specific cell is no longer generating a value. Yeah. So so it was like saying, uh, take this value, subtract it from this value, and then give me a total. But then one of those was completely deleted. So right. now the final one has got a ref because it's referring to something that it can't find anymore. So you just and need to go back and move that second cell, whatever it was. No, because that that column was deleted, is gone. Oh, okay. And so this is a situation where it cannot be fixed. Oh. Yeah. And I feel like it's important to show that kind of stuff because not everything in the real world is clean and neat. It's so many times of getting some data yeah. and saying, I cannot work with this. There is no cleaning this up. Yeah. That's it's yeah. funny. The, the, the conversation I had with George Mount a week mm-hmm. ago, he said the exact same thing of like, and I'm guilty of this in my own e-learning courses is my data sets are pristine. They're mm. Clean. <laughs> mm. Mm. Like there, there needs to be more of a cleanup. I did though. I defended myself then and i'll do it again now mm-hmm. a lot of the data sources that i'm working with on mm-hmm. these medium to small tier organizations are relatively clean data sources mm-hmm. yeah. so I, you know i have had an internship at a you know 12 billion dollar company and i've seen those like really gnarly dirty data sources mm-hmm. and i'm not working with many of those in my right. agency right so that, that, that's an interesting conversation into itself in that, it is. You know, like working with these, like, for example, Google Analytics, mm-hmm. connecting into that API, like, as long as you got your tags right, like mm-hmm. you, you, 
a bit, but even if you're not, you know, tagging specific pages, that data is being tracked because that system is built out. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just feeding a stream of data and then I can just tap into it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then there is things like a teacher explained to, um, no, she was a journalist in Chicago mm-hmm. and every year the Chicago public school system is talking about the data. The data says this school is not performing or we need to close a school, all of this stuff. And it always, the data says, and she wanted to see the data and she kept pounding away because the school system is required to provide the data. Eventually she gets it and she learns that data doesn't have to be useful. It's all kind of uh, delimiter separated stuff, full of duplicates. And okay, somebody has got to clean that stuff up before she can go write a story about whether the data really says this school needs to be mm-hmm. closed. Law firms, okay, we're going through a divorce. Your side is required to give me this data. What well, is locked in a PDF? Mm-hmm. Or is coming from five different sources that aren't ready to go be appended. Somebody's got to clean that up. So that's, that's an interesting use case. I've never even thought about that before. Constantly, constantly that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They got a PayPal account and four bank accounts. And then there's this other thing. And then they were Robin Hood accountant. So now, yeah, here's the data. Good luck. <laughs> right. Well, I guess if it's a divorce, you might want to keep it as messy as possible. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that's one thing I think of as analysts is thinking about data cleansing and data quality as a skill. Top of mind. Mm -hmm. Can I trust this data? How dirty is it? And recognizing um, when there is 200,000 rows of transactions and realizing that in my case as a commissions analyst not every transaction is going to map onto a commissions account because there's weird stuff yes somebody should get commissions on this um, but how much effort do i put into getting all of this cleaned up because i've got a deadline to meet with payroll and then at some point we get down into like uh six dollar transactions and a commissions analyst is getting 12 percent you know yeah it's like a few pennies yeah so how much effort do i put into cleaning that stuff up every month um yeah it's not always you know how clean is clean enough you know i had an analogy that um i i used during uh maybe this was like a year or two ago um I was talking about, I, I made an analogy of the data is kind of like a crystal ball mm-hmm. in that, yeah, we would love it for it to be crystal clear and you can see everything that's going to be happening. But it's almost like a crystal ball that's set to maybe 80 or 85% opacity. Mm-hmm. So you can see the outlines of what's going on, but that's good enough for you to like maneuver and make yes. the right decision. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of like... um 
that that analogy relates directly back to data cleansing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you hit a point, I don't know if it's 80%, 85%, 95%, depending on you know yeah. what is acceptable, where you hit a point of diminishing returns, where like you were saying, that $6 of a commission that's worth you know 32 cents, is that worth the time that you're paid hourly right. to clean that up, to go from right. 95% accurate to 98%? Right, because it's almost impossible to go to a hundred percent. It's at least it's impossible to be at a hundred percent accurate accuracy a hundred percent of the time. Right, right, and that's looking at the stakes. Right, what's right. at stake here? Now, somebody who's getting five thousand dollars and they didn't get their thirty-two cents. Right, they're not. Right, right, but there was a time where we started sending out termination warning letters to the wrong people. That's when things have to stop. Mm -hmm. And then we got to get a sense of how big this job is. And I say, okay, this is impacting 400 people. Okay, we have got to slow down and get this as clean as we can and take the time and say, okay, we know we promised to do something by Wednesday with this, but at the risk of sending out some the wrong person another termination warning letter no no we're not doing right. this by wednesday so yeah it seems like that threshold is um yeah is fluid yeah. it's it's not like yeah it has to be 85 percent accurate every single time you know like if, if you're looking at demand planning and you know in stock percentages like uh actually one of my my longest running client that i've had for three years I believe that they, their in-stock percentage, if it falls below um, 90%, that's when we have to give it attention and we need to, you know, really, but if it's like, you know, 96 or 95% in stock, they're fine with that. You know, I mean, it's, it's not, because what you're doing is you're balancing that the cost of that lost opportunity. So they walk into Lowe's and they want to buy some screws, mm-hmm. that person not having, you know, because at Lowe's, it's hyper-competitive. Oh, these screws are out. I'm going to go right here in the same aisle in the same, you know, screw section and, and buy those. That's worth, you know, say it's $3.98 versus the cost of getting that supply chain 100% or, or 98 or 99% optimized. That might be worth, that might cost $100,000. So like, yeah, there's that balancing act, at, like balancing act of, risk versus reward and it's got yeah yes right in yes yes you got to get that really clear right that's it i really haven't talked about data cleansing on this level with anyone before um because yeah i'm, I'm working with really clean right i'm and, so pampered i'm so like privileged. right and and that and that's and, and i see this time and time again um because if you go to get your degree in marketing does it make sense to have a data cleansing course? You know, you got to mm-hmm. do your analysis. You got to think about all the statistics and where data is coming from and how you can write surveys to fish pe- data out of people and all of this kind of stuff. And then I see it, somebody gets out of school and then there's all this crazy data and you're trying to get like e- even something as simple as first name and last names. So you got George Mount, 
Swift and Henrietta Burns. And then here is somebody with no first name and the last name is family of Homer J. Simpson. Okay, what do you do with family of? Hmm. Okay. And then somebody who's, they just have a first name, Rhonda. What do you do with that? Right. Um, and I helped one marketing firm clean up some data and one issue came up. Let's say there is downtown YMCA and then there is the Henry Myrtleby Memorial YMCA. And then I realized they're the same YMCA. Mm. But then there's data about the first one about whether they have a pool or not. And then on the second one, that's where the phone number and the contact information are. So now I can't just get rid of one of them. I've got to flag them and keep a way of recognizing that these two or three are all the same, but now I got to get that data collapsed into one. Right. Yeah. There's a lot there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and when you learn don't clean data, I go to hackathons and the data is pristine yeah. so that the folks can get on with the hackathon. And that makes sense. But that whole data cleansing skill, it seems still is, is this boogeyman under the bed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like it's not such a boogeyman anymore. We talked about <laughs> it in depth. <laughs> right. No, you go under the bed and shine that flashlight and say, you get out of there. Get out of there. Yeah. Well, as it's been um, fantastic having you on. Are there, yeah. are there any, um, any things you want to highlight? Any like um, shout outs? Um, you, so you are on LinkedIn. Yeah. Your Excel channel is Excel, Excel on fire. Your YouTube channel is Excel. Yeah. I don't know what an Excel channel is. Um, yeah. So, um, subscribe, like, share his stuff. I yeah, appreciate this. Interview. Yeah. Thank you. Great conversation. It. Yeah. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.